This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly supported by McDelivery, bringing you the food you love. McDelivery brings a top-tier lineup of food right to your door. No matter the results, you'll always be winning with McDelivery. Order now on the McDonald's app and you'll get rewards points delivered too. So that ordering today means some tasty rewards for tomorrow. Only via app at participating restaurants. 18 plus rewards registration required. Points only on menu items, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly teaming up with Free for Mental Health Awareness Week this year. As football fans, we often pride ourselves on knowing everything, from which substitution can turn the game around to the quickest route home to beat the crowds. However, when it comes to discussing feelings with our friends, we might not always feel as confident. That's why we're here to equip you with the right tools so you can reach out to those who can help. If your mates are struggling, let them know that the Samaritans are free to call on 116123. That's 116123. They are there to listen without judgment or pressure, 24-7, 365 days of the year. Let's all take a moment to talk more than football. Hello and welcome to another episode of Total Saints Podcast. My name is Ben Stanfield, at Ben Stanners on Twitter, and I'm in charge of this often emotionally charged online production. The ying to my yang, though, is Adam Leach, Chief Sports Writer at the Southern Daily Echo, and fresh from stepping in the door after the match at the Emirates earlier today, he joins us once again. Adam, I used to think you had the best job in the world, but I'm starting to think after this season uh, it may be punishment for a previous life or something like that. (laughs) You might be right. I don't... um... Yeah, I don't think this is the best job in the world. <laughs> Definitely not this season. No, no, there we go. And you mentioned a few weeks ago, I remember I was, I was doing my notes yesterday, I remember you saying that Arsenal was your, your favourite ground to go to. So more importantly, was the hospitality all right? It was, but um, normally there's two of us covering the game. But today, uh, due to holidays and staffing, I was uh, on my own. And the, and the evenings or Sunday games are really uh, tough gigs when there's two of you because of... Um, because of the deadlines that we're working to on a Saturday, it's a bit more, uh, a little bit more relaxed because yeah. though we do a lot of live stuff, all the stuff for Monday, obviously we can do on Sunday. Uh, as whereas this all has to be turned around super quick. So I was trying to do two people's work today. So to be honest with you, mm. I didn't really get to enjoy it as much, though I did yeah. have an ice cream and the ice cream was, was very good. So, um, very high standard of ice cream. <laughs> good, I'm sure you're going to miss it. Um, but there we go, so no, good stuff. Um, <laughs> alongside Adam, also fresh from visiting the Emirates today, is Richard Brereton, at Richard Brer on Twitter. Richard is the head writer and editor of Saints Panel, which is at Saints underscore panel and part of the overall Premier League panel site. Richard, good to have you with us finally. Um, I wondered if you could just tell us a little bit about your history following Saints and also about how you got involved with Saints Panel. Um, I, was, uh, I was, wasn't actually born in the UK. I was born in uh, South Africa, but I've been living here since, uh, since I was about one years old. Um, in terms of uh, supporting Saints, um, it was something that I didn't really have a, have a choice about. Um, so my mum's uh, sister-in-law, her dad was a director of the club in the, um, through the sort of kind of 50s, 60s, 70s and beyond then. Um, so it was really ingrained in the family from, from that sort of side of the family. So um, I inherited it from there and uh, I've been a Saints fan ever since. In terms of the, the Saints panel, so 
uh, Premier League panel, quite a few of the listeners may well have seen their tweets um, run by uh, run by a guy who's um, kind of sort of built that up, built that into quite a good following. Um, last year, there was a sort of website where we had a lot of content coming out. Um, this season, haven't been putting out many articles because the guy that runs the site, is a, he's a student, he's at uni, so doesn't have a huge amount of time. So right. just been focusing on the social media side of it recent, uh, really. So a lot of stuff going through the, the Premier League panel Twitter account. And then when I've got time myself in and around work, I'll tweet as much as possible from the Saints panel. Excellent. Well, we look forward to chatting uh, to you a bit more throughout the podcast. We're going to follow our normal tried and tested agenda, which is looking back at uh, another somewhat frustrating Saints performance in a, in a frustrating season before trying with all of our might really to be positive and look ahead to next week's game, uh, which uh, won't be must win as we all know, but it will certainly be uh, up there, I'm sure. Um, in the middle of that, um, Richard and I are going to try and lighten the mood, um, at least I hope, by uh, looking at uh, our weakest ever Saints Premier League eleven. I, I thought um, that the Arsenal game may go as it did in that Saints would lose so I asked Richard before the podcast to put together the the sort of worst Premier League 11 that he'd seen in his time during Saints I've done the same and in the middle of the podcast we're going to have a chat about that so this is Total Saints podcast episode 32 Saints battled hard but came away with nothing in the end after a rollercoaster 3-2 defeat against the mainly second-string Arsenal side. Um, Adam, let's start with some kind of positives. Yes, Saints lost, but it was good to see a bit more heart in their performance today. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, there were positives to take today. There's definitely positives. Um, they were they were well-drilled, they were well-organised, they had a clear game plan that they stuck to. That was all good, that was all positive, and that, that showed that Mark Hughes... Um, is you know is doing things on the training ground and then is working positively with the team towards a, a clear end goal. They scored twice and goals have been uh, severely lacking all season. So to score twice away from home was a positive. Um, there was some character, some some spirit, some fight, uh, as we suspected, um, as I predicted last week on the pod. Uh, there were some changes and hmm. some of those. Uh, that we mentioned that I said that I thought would come in. Uh, Yoshida, Romeu, Long, uh, perhaps Will Prowse as well, all did come in and all did show character and did show some fight. So there were some positives, yeah. I had those in my notes, Adam, so well done. I was going to give you credit that uh, obviously <laughs> Steve Davis, uh, I think, was still injured, wasn't he? But the other four, you all mentioned he, um, them and uh, they all came in. Yeah. Steve Davis actually, unfortunately, I have a I have a funny feeling he was probably going to play, but he picked up a, a knock yesterday or the day before the game, should I say, mm. for those listening at another time, um, <laughs> the day before the game in training, and so I think that forced him out, unfortunately. Yeah, there we go, Richard. I know you were at the game as uh, we mentioned as well. So from a sort of uh, supporters' point of view, what did you make of it all? Uh, yeah, it was a, a much better performance. I mean, I was at the West Ham game last weekend and um, only made it through 70 minutes before I'd had enough. Um, so <laughs> there was a lot more to, to be entertained about today. Um, I think kind of same old weaknesses defensively with people switching off and mm. um, a few soft goals. But uh, as Adam said, uh, reassuring that it was positive going forward. There was a lot of fight from the players. I was particularly impressed by um, the way that Ward Prowse and, and Hoiberg got stuck in. Um, and I think if we can take that fight into into the remaining games of the season, then then we still have a chance of staying up. It's going to be tough, but but we need performances like that every single game now. 
Absolutely, I think it did give uh, give all of us, uh, myself included, a little bit more hope that we, uh, with a bit more luck on another day, could have got something there. But uh, look, um, yeah, in terms of positives, Adam Shane Long, we've spoken about him uh, a lot this uh, this sort of season. You, you know, he's he's sort of been in and out of the side, and I think it was one of those performances from from him that sort of typified him really. I mean, you know, again up top on his own, just didn't stop running around and hassling and uh, everything that we've sort of questioned in the team the last few weeks. Well, he's a perfect player when you're playing that kind of system. When you're going to go uh, away from home or you're going to play a big club and you're basically going to get 10 men behind the ball for the majority of the game. And that, that is your game plan. It's basically to just try and stop the other team scoring, more or less, um, and then try and counterattack. You need somebody up front who uh, is going to be a very willing runner because they're going to have to run a lot. They're going to have to chase a lot of balls. A lot of potentially lost causes are going to have to work to try and uh, close down from the front and, and restrict the amount of time the centre-halves have on the ball as much as they possibly can. Um, and then they also need to try and offer some kind of a threat as well in front of goal. And, and Long is obviously the perfect player for that. Saints don't have really another player in their uh, squad that could do that role. Uh, but Long does it perfectly. He's the most willing uh, of runners that we've probably seen in, in a very long time at Saints. I mean, the yards that he covers uh, uh, for the team, chasing a lot of lost causes, are, are pretty exceptional, really. Um, and he, he is, if you're going to play in that manner, if you're going to play, you know, a, 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 what you'd have to describe as a back five, it wasn't really a three set and a half, it was a back mm. five, um, then you really need somebody like that up front. You couldn't get away with a Carrillo or an Austin. Uh, and probably not even a Gabbiadini, because though he could have the same qualities, he just doesn't have the same work rate as long. So, yeah, a, a positive there as well, I think. The thing is with Shane Adam is that if he could if he could bang in 10 goals a season, you know, he'd be really, really top Premier League striker because we know he's got pace. We know he's good at fairly good at holding the ball up. He wins a lot of fouls. Um, he's good in the air. All, all the sort of things that you'd want in a striker. I mean, the the one frustration, and I'll, you know, I'm sure Richard would back this up as a supporter, is that you, you know the amount of chances he does get sometimes where he probably should score and he and he somehow fluffs it or can't get his his feet sort of untangled. I guess that's the frustration for for fans is 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 sort of sticking the ball in the net other than that he's, he's pretty useful to have well all I'd say is if Shane Long could regularly score 12 to 15 goals a season he never would be at Saints mm. <laughs> there's no chance there's no yeah. chance he'd be, he'd be far too good for Saints if he was uh, with all due respect um, and if he would have arrived at Saints at some point he would have been sold somewhere else for a lot of money probably uh, that's the truth of, of Shane Long in his career he's got many many great assets he really has made the best of them but He's not a natural goal scorer, really. I mean, it's funny when Mark Hughes was talking about Austin before the West Ham game. He he just said, you know, and as a striker of some repute himself, obviously you take what he says seriously in that regard. That with Austin, he said it's just the way some players are. I mean, there's he's just a magnet for the ball in the penalty area, and there's no discernible reason I think when I watch it from the outside that the Austin should be like that. Really, um, he doesn't honestly a lot of the time seem like he's particularly good but mm. somehow he just has this this brilliant knack of finding himself in the right place at the right time now you know we have to give him the benefit of the doubt and assume that this is all you know mentally he's just a bit sharper than than the defenders that are around him but again he came off the bench he found himself stood in the middle of the six-yard box Arsenal's defense are completely cleared off and there he is to tap home from two yards um it, there's a kind of 
Shane Long can get himself in that position, and invariably the ball won't come to him. Um, and then the, the positions he does get in are the harder ones to finish. Quite often, he because of the way he plays, because of the fact Saints are trying to get him in behind, he often is. The chances he gets are often those sort of one-on-ones or you're running through and you've got a defender kind of leaning on you and you've got to try and get the shot away, things like that. And in fairness, Austin had one of those, and Austin's not great in that situation a lot of the time either. He's very much that sort of penalty box finisher but he's not great in those situations either but it's just that long gets an awful lot of those because that's just the style in which he plays in which the team are playing that way where but you know to try and get the best out of him when he plays so i mean yeah i i don't have any criticism shane long we remember that little period where he had that second half of the season a, a couple of years ago where he did hit a little golden patch and at that point you thought well this guy's unplayable he's scoring goals and he's got all these qualities um, but as we saw today, you know, he's still capable. He's still capable of scoring goals and being a nuisance. Richard, Adam mentioned the tactics there and the sort of line-up and the, the fact that Saints were obviously playing five at the back. Um, you were at uh, West Ham, as you mentioned last week, where Saints went 4-4-2 and got opened up quite a bit, particularly in that first half. So what did you think in terms of Hughes' line-up today, bearing in mind, as I mentioned at the start, it, it turned out that Arsenal were second string. Obviously, Hughes wouldn't have known that when he picked his team and put his team sheet in. He might have been expecting Ozil and people like that to be playing uh, in the holes. But what did you sort of make of the uh, the approach that Hughes took? Um, there was a lot more structure today than there was last week. I mean, I expected that to some extent with it being with it being Arsenal, and obviously you've got to be a lot more a lot tighter against them, otherwise they they will punish you. But it was inter- interesting to see for a lot of the game just set up in a bank of five across the back, full backs not pushing forward too much at all, pretty much a four across the middle and in front of them with Tadic on the left and and Prowse on the right, um, and then Long as the, the kind of only man in front of the ball which it worked pretty well for us, soaked up pressure pretty well. And with with Long being quick enough up front, we could hit those kind of slightly more hopeful balls on the counter-attack that he's going to chase through and, and turn into something. And the midfield players played with a lot of drive today and had the determination to, to get up the pitch and get into areas and get in Arsenal's faces a bit more and, and try and win the ball back in attacking areas and, and turn it into, into some good attacking opportunities. I think we looked a lot more threatening going forward. We could have had probably scored three or four goals in that if we'd been kind of really on form. Um, so, yeah, as I, as I mentioned before, I think if we can play like that going into the next few games, then then we've got a chance. I wasn't going to necessarily go through player by player, but uh, we've spoken again about Alex McCarthy the last few weeks and uh, arguably he was possibly at fault for the third goal, maybe could have come for that, but he did make a couple of absolutely brilliant saves, particularly one low down just after half-time that kept Saints in it. So I thought it was... Very, very much worth giving him a shout out. But uh, other than sort of McCarthy and Shane Long, was there anyone that particularly impressed you watching from the stands, Richard? Yeah, I'd say um, sort of James Ward-Prowse definitely with with his industry put some good balls in. Um, Hoiberg was was determined as ever. I thought Yoshida played well while he was on the pitch, read the ball quite well, and uh, made some decent headers. Probably could have done a bit better for for Welbeck's first goal. Um, but yep. I think he he did did all right considering he'd been out the team for so long. Um, I think. Um, we've obviously spoken about Shane Long, but I thought Tadic did all right going forward. But in his typical frustrating fashion, for all the good work he did linking up play, he made a, a kind of few basic errors. There was the one 50-50 that he pulled out that he could have scored from. And then obviously yeah. his his mistake for their goal. So, yeah, frustrating from a few players, but but a lot better from a lot of them as well. 
Yeah, and Adam, defensively, you know, we we let three goals in against West Ham last week, and yes, we've sort of shored up and, and gone five at the back today. But again, if you analyse them, three pretty sloppy goals to give away. And I mean, Danny Welbeck, who isn't the renowned as being a prolific goal scorer, as we saw when he put it over the bar somehow. You know, he scored against us in the FA Cup last season. He scored two again today. I mean, he's just one of those players that seems to enjoy playing against Saints. Yeah, I suppose so. And ultimately, it's the defensive frailties that are undermining things a little bit at the moment. Um, it hasn't really... There have been mistakes during the season, but it hasn't really been that way for most of the season, weirdly, has it? I mean, it's been more of the focus that we've had has been on a lack of goals, a lack of creating chances, uh, rather than the conceding of goals. Um, and now the floodgates have really opened. They've conceded three goals in each of their last three Premier League games. I mean, nine mm. goals uh, in three games let in is a pretty sorry tale. No matter who you're playing, it's not great. And you're not going to win uh, many, if any, games at Premier League level when you conceded three because you're not often going to score four. Um, and given the situation Saints are now in, that's what they need is wins. They don't need draws. I mean, even today... Yes, it would have been better to have come away with a point, but really they backed themselves into such a hole uh, because of the Newcastle and West Ham results that, that any position now, I think any time they get in a game, if you get almost to 20 minutes to go and you're drawing, they need to go for it like they're losing because they're, really if they're going to stay up, they're going to need to win. They've got to win a few matches. Um and draws are not going to do the job, I don't think. I think, especially at this stage, they kind of need to get some wins to make sure they don't get cut adrift to keep themselves yeah. competitive before that little running comes. The Chelsea game and the Man City game, really, forget the Cup game for a moment, but just in the league, are kind of going to bookend those middle four matches in which you think, realistically, they're going to, if they don't get anything from Chelsea and Man City on those ends, now Arsenal's gone without anything as well, mm. then they're facing up to the prospect of maybe having to win three of those four matches to survive. And that is, that is big. That is really mm. big. And it just goes to mm. show that any time you've got a chance or a sniff of getting a win, you really need to take it. And for all the positives, uh, I can't help but feel that the, the game at, at the Emirates was a missed opportunity. Absolutely, because I guess you start the weekend, you're two points from safety, and that's another week gone, there's six games left, and now we're three points from safety. So as you say, you've just got to win a game just to get back into the pack, which is what you've spoken about the last few weeks. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, I actually put something out on Twitter when I was on the train on the way home, coming back from the game, because I'd sort of thought about it a bit after the match. And God, this is going to sound terribly negative now. But I don't, I don't mean to, this to sound as negative, because it was a positive performance today. Mm. But I was getting messages and seeing things from people who were sort of um, making out like this was the kind of performance we'd never seen this season. And, and the, um, you know, I don't want to do any discredit to Mark Hughes at all because, you know, he deserves credit for having got a good performance out of them, given what we saw at West Ham. But yep. this was just like, well, this proved that, you know, Hughes is, is been way better than Pellegrino or, or whatever. Actually, the truth is that against the big teams, Saints haven't struggled this season. They've played mm. well. I mean, they've played top six teams ten times this yeah. season. Seven of those, they have been extremely competitive. In fact, of those seven, which includes the Arsenal one, they picked up three draws. Mm. So they have mm. drawn some games against top six teams. They haven't just lost them. And the four that they've lost against the top six have all been by one goal. So they have been really competitive against the top six. Only three games out of those ten have they lost 
you know, comfortably, the two against Liverpool and the Tottenham of Wembley on Boxing Day. The other yeah. seven, there's not many teams that have been that competitive against the top six this year. Yeah. Uh, from yeah. from seventh downwards, let alone when you're third bottom. Saints have not had a problem against top six. They've yeah. performed well. They've raised their game uh, against these big teams. Their problem has undoubtedly been against everybody else mm. who's not in the top six or not West Brom. Um, yeah. That's where the problems have come. And so, though this was a good performance, an encouraging performance... It's not. I don't think this is something exceptional because I think this is. We've seen this many times before. What is the key is whether Hughes has found something here that is different to Pellegrino, in that he has found a way to get the team to play that can then continue and be productive when they play those, especially when they play those four games. Like I said, like I said, in the middle of the book ended by Chelsea and Man City, which is looking like they're going to have to win most of those, and that that is really the key. This performance alone, um, especially given that it yielded no points, to be honest, to me, I can take it or leave it a little bit. And that sounds incredibly negative, but I just think, well, we've seen it before. I don't think it sounds negative at all. I think you, you make a very valid point when you think of City away, United away, Arsenal at home, Spurs at home. Richard, I mean, from a sort of fan's point of view, I mean, you know, I've questioned the sort of heart within the team the last few weeks about whether some of the players really care. But if we assume they do, then how disheartening do you think it is for them to play fairly well today, but still come away with nothing? Very odd of thought. You could see from their reactions at the end of the game how frustrated they were. Um, there were a few. Obviously, we had the, the controversial incident with with Stevens and mm-hmm. um, and Wilshire, and a few other things that you could see that the players were really down. That a few little things hadn't quite gone their way um, way in the game, and you you could see at the end of the game their passion when they were. Although it's not nice always see players questioning the referee, it's it's nice to at least it shows that they care. Um, yeah. They've been they've obviously been coming over to the away fans at the end of the game for the last few weeks, so it's it's hard to see whether that's because they feel they should or because they actually care. But I did see a, more effort from a lot of the players today. I think Bertrand had a pretty good game. Um, whether that's because it's it's on TV, it's against a big club, and he's he's got half an eye on who he can play for next season, we don't know. And I suppose we won't really know until after probably the next two Chelsea games are big games where it's in their interest to to put a big performance in. So when we get into those games against kind of Bournemouth and Leicester and Everton, etc., I think that's when we're going to see whether they've actually got the fight or whether it's just because they've got their, their eye on their next move. In terms of the Jack Stevens situation, Adam, frustrating for him now because he missed the, the Wembley match. It was a bit of a niggly tussle that probably Wiltshire did quite well not to come, come away with a red card as well. But frustrating... Uh, to sort of see that situation and Stevens to get involved in it. Yeah, frustrating, frustrating. I mean, it happens, and you know, I wouldn't want to have a go at Jack Stevens particularly. Let's be honest, this wasn't the cleverest thing in the world to do, but it, there was some provocation there. Obviously, he just should have uh, should have just sucked it up. Easy to say, but harder to do in the heat of the moment, and that's what sports all about. I think the real shame. Um, is that obviously Hughes went with this back five today and they did do um, a, a good containing job in Arsenal. I mean, mainly, as we've spoken about, the goals were were odd, a very odd lapse. It wasn't as if it, it was because of the formation or that they were leaking chances or anything like that. Not, not at all. And I think, but with that in mind, that almost certainly, having got to that stage where they obviously understand how to play it, they obviously have a bit of confidence in it after the way it went at Arsenal, they would have loved to have played it against Chelsea. And now without Jack Stevens, uh, for that, really, 
I think that option to play against Chelsea is probably gone because he's not going to want to throw Bednarek into that reckoning. And then if you, you know, there are other options, but you start talking about moving players out of position and drafting in possibly players that haven't played for a long time and things like that. So I, I would be shocked if he went down that route. So the main shame, I think, is well, other than for Jack personally, is that uh, Mark Hughes has, has lost the opportunity to, to push on with something that, that kind of worked. Finally, Richard, what did you make of Andre Mariner's performance overall? He, he always strikes me as one of those referees that, a bit like Sunday League at sort of under 10s, he kind of just stands in the centre circle and blows decisions from there. He never runs around much. It was a bit of a strange one, to be honest. Um, he seemed to let quite a lot go in the first half, which, whether or not that contributed to the way things went in the second half, I'm not sure. Um, I suppose the big thing that I noticed was obviously the inconsistency in that uh, that Stevens decision. Yes, he, he threw Wilshire to the floor, but Wilshire had ripped his shirt off his back. And then uh, to send Elneny off for that push when actually what he did was nowhere near as bad as, as Wilshire was a bit strange. And how he ended up at, at that decision was, was a bit baffling, to be honest. Right, as mentioned at the start, I assume that the Arsenal result might be disappointing. So before the podcast um, started, I asked Richard to put together the um, worst Premier League eleven that uh, we'd seen since the Premier League had started. So there were simple rules in place, which I let Richard know, which was that they must have made at least one Premier League appearance. So anyone in our teams must have made one Premier League appearance since 1992. So for example, Virgard Foran, who obviously we signed a central defender, never played for Saints. We all know he was rubbish, but he doesn't count for this for that reason that he didn't play in the Premier League. And the second rule was that it could either be 4-4-2 or a 4-3-3 formation. So that's it, really. Um, look, there's no real malice intended. It's just a bit of fun, something to sort of listen to in between the Arsenal review and the Chelsea preview, just to, to lighten the mood a little bit. So, Richard, as our guest, I don't know if you uh, want to go first and let us know who you got in your team and why. OK, um, so for my team, um, I was born in, in 89, so starting uh, Sports right. Saints from no the early 90s. So I've gone for, for players pretty much from, from 2000 onwards. So, OK, yeah, cool. Um, um, so starting in goal, I've gone for Martin Stecklenburg um, because he just seemed to concede every single shot on target when he played. Yep. Um, <laughs> right back, I've gone for um, Cuco Martina. Because uh, despite that one goal against Arsenal, he was dreadful. Yeah. Um, championship standard at best. Mm-hmm. Um, centre backs. This is where it gets really bad. Um, <laughs> so we've got um, Andreas Jakobsen and Tahar El Kaledge. Right. Um, yeah. And then um, well, Kaledge gets in there for a just not being very good, and B also for that horrible uh, challenge he did on uh, Kieran Dyer. Yeah, yeah. Um, near, nearly put him out of the World Cup. He did. Um, and left back. A, a player that's actually doing doing all right in the MLS, so maybe he's found his level, which is uh, Yelly Van Dam, yeah, yeah. Um, who was yeah just bad. <laughs> um, uh, central midfield, um, I've gone for probably a little bit harshly, but Philip Juricic, I've put him as one of my midfield three because um, he was just anonymous for that yeah. half season or whenever he was with us. Um, and then two players from uh, from the side that got relegated, so I've got Nigel Quasi. Um, and Neil McCann, who, um, for those old enough to remember both of those coming to us, was A, they were a symptom of the how bad the team was at the time, but they were just, yeah, just dreadful. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. And then a front three of um, a 
Nicola Cortese special of Emmanuel Mayuka. <laughs> I, thought, I thought you were going to say Nicola Cortese, then that would have been interesting. So yeah, no, um, Mayuka, who wasn't he signed because he scored the winning goal in the African I, Cup I of think Nations? So, yeah, and at one stage wasn't he like the 85th ranked young footballer in the world or something? I remember seeing something. Yeah, he was going to be like the next next big thing. So yeah, yeah, yeah. As someone playing too much football manager and not <laughs> not watching enough of him in real life. Um, and then I've gone for Augustin Delgado. Because um, yep, although I sure. liked him as a player, he was he was beyond awful for us. Um, yep. And then Juan Me for the same reason as as Juricic, <laughs> just came yeah. in and seems to have a decent amount of talent, but just completely unsuited to the Premier League. Yeah, no, that's I mean, there's uh, I don't think there's many in there that I'd question to be honest. I, I think. Uh, Emmanuel Moika, he didn't make my final 11, but uh, yeah, 16 games, zero goals, and uh, he, he wasn't, uh, I, I, I certainly, I, I've got him down here as a shout-out because he just missed out on mine, but um, yeah, I think um, Taha Al-Khalaj, he was an interesting one from the fact that, uh, I remember the Kieran Dyer tackle, I was at that game, it was against Newcastle when we won 3-1, I think it was last game of the season, but uh, I, I remember there was a chant about, he had um, some new shiny boots when we played at the Dow once, and there was a chant about those, but yeah, it was, it was, it was, it was funny when, I don't know about you, but when I was looking through the the list of um, sort of previous Saints players trying to sort of rack my brains about some of them. It's uh, it's amazing some of the names you, you know that sort of Mohammed Safri and people, yeah. people like that that sort of um, come up and you sort of think, <laughs> I didn't I don't remember him at all. So it'll be interesting and I'll, I'll get people's views at the end on the yeah. on the team whether they think any of those are harsh, um, Richard. But yeah, there's uh, some interesting names in there, but uh, certainly a couple that have made mine. You'll be pleased to know, so that's good. But, um, I, I'm uh, a bit older than Richard, so I was uh, I was born in 1981, so I actually. Oh, Started going to the Dal in uh, 87, 88. So I got, I've, I've been uh, lucky enough, if you want to call it that, with some of the relegation battles to see uh, see all of the Premier League years actually. So my, uh, I'm, I'm basically setting it up, Richard, that my team's a bit a bit older than yours. So some of them. So look, I've gone four four two. Um, so in goal, I've got Chris Woods. Um, so I don't know if you remember, <laughs> but Chris Woods, uh, he joined us on loan under Graham Souness as cover for Dave Besson, um, and he was just dreadful. I mean, bearing in mind this was like an ex ex England goalkeeper, yeah. I remember sort of thinking, wow, we signed Chris Woods. Um, he only played four games for Saints. Before before he broke his leg and one of those was a 7-1 defeat away at uh, at uh, Everton and the infamous uh, we used to get battered <laughs> up at Everton and I remember going to I think it was a cup game up at Oxford and uh, he didn't inspire much confidence to be honest with you so Chris Woods is Magolia right back look Kuko almost made it but I, I pipped him by going for Paul Telfer um, who you may yep. remember who played yep. um play for Saints now he he obviously joined under Strachan um, and originally I think played right midfield and then we made him into a right back look he wasn't actually that bad there's there's three reasons that I've put him in my team actually he was really weak physically I mean he used to you know sort of bounce off people um, he was a dreadful corner taker I mean you know some of the corners we've had this season have been awful but I've never seen anyone hit the first man more than Paul Telford did um, and this and this was the reason that really secured it for me Richard was I remember one game at St Mary's where the ball eventually found its way to him just outside the area. He had a shot and he actually hit the TV screen above the northern. <laughs> and he is the, he's the only person that I've ever seen do that. And for that reason, he is in my team, to be honest with you. So, uh, so that's Paul Telfer at right back. Um, left back, Lee Todd. Yeah. Um, I don't know if you remember yeah. him. So Dave Jones signed in, bought him from Stockport. On Wikipedia, it told me that we spent 850 grand on him. I couldn't believe that. Um, so he only made 10 appearances for us. He was quite small. He wasn't very good. Um, but I should give a quick shout out to Olivier Bernard yeah. because he just beat him into my team as well. Yeah, he's on, he was um, on my list. <laughs> yeah, there we go. Um, so um, centre-backs, right. Callum Davenport, yeah. first one. 
probably, I mean, you mentioned the relegation team there, probably the worst centre-back I think I've ever seen in my uh, Saints career. Harry Redknapp obviously signed him and he was part of our infamous 2004-2005 uh, relegation team. He looked like Per Mertesacker. He was as slow as Per Mertesacker. He was as, as sort of uh, error-prone as Per Mertesacker. Yeah, he just wasn't very good. So Callum Davenport is one of them. The second one, and I don't know if you remember this one, Scott Marshall, who came no. from Arsenal. So, right, he only played two games for Saints. So, you know, he, he didn't have much of a career with us. But you wouldn't believe it if I told you that he scored own goals in both games. Um, so he, we lost 3-0 at Leeds. And then I actually drove up with my brother and my dad to watch them at Newcastle. We drove up on a Friday night. We spent the Friday night sat in a lay-by, uh, sleeping in the, in the car. We lost 4-0. Jason Dodd got sent off, and he, he, a diving header from Scott Marshall. It was, you know, if it had been the other end, they would have been talking about it for years, but it was uh, just dreadful. So, so my back four is Paul Telfer, Lee Todd, Callum Davenport, and Scott Marshall. Um, in midfield, you mentioned Neil McCann. So um, I've, I've, I've sort of, well, I've, I've bent the rules here by playing him centre mid just because uh, I needed to get my other two wingers in the team. But I totally agree with everything you said. I've never seen someone cross the ball into the stand as much. I mean, you know, he, he used to, he used to run down the wing, and everyone in the chapel would take cover because it was coming their way. So. Uh, one and a half million pounds we spent on him. 40 games, no goals. Um, yeah, just dreadful. So Neil McCann is my centre midfielder. The other one, and I should quickly say that Rory Dlapp almost made it because he was a waste yep. of money as well. But Ali Dia, I had to stick him in there. He, he probably wasn't a centre midfielder. I don't think we ever really worked out what he was. But uh, what would the Saints' worst team be without Ali Dia? He'll always be remembered for uh, substituting Matthew Letizia and then getting substituted himself in the same game against Leeds. So uh, so he's in my team. My two wingers, um, and I'm, I'm not arguing with yours because I think they were good choices. Um, Perry Groves is one of them. So he joined us in the first Premier League season, 1992. Came from Arsenal. He'd had quite a good reputation from Arsenal. Joined us for 750 grand, which is probably the equivalent of about 50 million these days, I would have thought. But uh, he just, he was dreadful. So two seasons, he played 15 games for us and then he retired with injury. And uh, he, he was renowned for being this fast ginger winger, but he was just dreadful. So I'm sure there'll be a few Saints fans listening to this that will... Uh, sort of agree with that and yep. the last one right midfield Stuart Ripley joined us in 98 he played 53 games he scored one goal I can't remember who was against it might have been Newcastle but again a bit like McCann he used to do all the hard work get to the byline and then he just take someone out in the front row of the stand with his crosses he was just awful so what one of those players that could make the uh, the easy things look really hard to be honest with you so that's my midfield um up front Delgado, I don't think, again, we could have a worse Saints team uh, without Delgado in it. Um, played 11 games in three seasons, believe it or not. Um, he was always injured, except when he came to international duty. And then he was, then he was, uh, he, he rocked up for Ecuador and he'd bang a couple of goals and then he'd be out for another six months. So, yeah. Um, and I, I was at the game when he scored against Arsenal. He bundled it over the line. Sol Campbell got sent off. Anti Niemi made a, a wonderful triple save from Vieira. But Delgado absolutely is in there. Um, yeah, he was just, I, I can't remember how much they pay for him but yeah dreadful um and then the last one and i should say look absolutely this guy very much admire him for his battle against um cancer that he had he's, he's just picked my uke into my team but uh, from a personal point of view i have a lot of respect for him but uve rossler was my other striker um glenn hoddle signed him on a free transfer richard um 24 games no goals he'd obviously scored lots of goals for man city but i just remember him 
I, I don't want to say he was a car horse because that sounds really disrespectful, <laughs> but he, he's a bit like Shane Long in that uh, the ball would come near him. He, you know, he, he would it would look easier to score. He'd fluff it. He'd head it over the bar. But yeah, Uwe Rossler. So so that's my team. So I don't know if there's any of those that you disagree with or you think I've been a bit harsh with. No, I'd, of, of the ones I remember, I'd, I'd agree with all of those. I mean, yeah. I had Telford, Davenport and Ripley all just missed out on my <laughs> team. Yeah, uh, yeah. And a couple of others that we haven't mentioned that I want to give honourable mentions to just missing out. Uh, Jamie Redknapp in centre midfield. Definitely. Uh, um, and Andre Kanchelskis. Yeah, 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 yeah. He was, he was another one that destroyed the number seven shirt. Absolutely. So uh, there's there's a few. I mean, I think the thing is, if you asked any Saints fan to pick their worst 11, I think there'd probably be about 20 players. It wouldn't be like there'd be 100 players. Yeah. I mean, there would probably be the same 20 players that we would all think of. So what did you think of the lineups? Did you agree? Is there anyone we've missed who really should have been included in Richard or Mai's team? Is there someone that you can't believe we have selected that we've been really harsh on? I mean, Kuka Martina, that was an absolute worldie. How could he possibly be <laughs> Richard's worst right back? So uh, no, there we go. Well, feel free to let us know via Twitter, Facebook, or you can email us totalsaintspodcast at yahoo.com. We'd love to hear your thoughts. Feel free to send us your worst 11 and we can read it out next week. But uh, look, good effort on that, Richard. Well done. Cheers. <laughs> Next up for Saints at St Mary's is Chelsea in the Premier League. A little bit like Arsenal, Adam, I guess. You never quite know which Chelsea team's going to uh, turn up these days, but certainly not an opposition to take lightly. No, definitely not. Uh, yeah, like you say, there's, um, you know, the, again, we, we spoke about it with Arsenal. If you're playing uh, the top six this season, actually, you probably fancy your chances against Arsenal more than any. We, we had talked about their, uh, you know, defensive frailties, which were on show. And Chelsea, yeah, they are... They are better than Arsenal, obviously. They're better off in the league, so clearly they've been better just about this season. But they have been inconsistent, and and I, I think there's a lot of people wondering what their motivation is a lot of the time. They seem to sometimes really want it, and, and other times they seem to kind of turn up and drift through matches. It was probably, from Saints' point of view, a bad result in, in quite a few ways that end up being held to a draw by West Ham. Not only did West Ham get a point, but you fancy that Chelsea might well be looking for a bit of a reaction when they play against Saints. And also, I think Chelsea will take it quite seriously because from their point of view, I think it, they would very much like to probably try and lay down a marker ahead of the FA Cup game uh, the following weekend, which is obviously a much bigger uh, occasion for them than the league game. They've really got nothing much left to play for in the in the Premier League. But Obviously, the FA Cup presents the potential to win a trophy, which um, I'm sure they would like and I'm sure Conte would like, especially if this is to be a swan song. And so I think from their point of view, they've got every motivation coming to some areas. I don't think it's a bit like Arsenal, where we wondered a little bit, even during the game, really, uh, what their motivation was. Obviously, Wenger sent out a bit of a message by the fact that he rotated so much and rested a lot of key players uh, for Saints, that, that obviously that wasn't their priority. But... But obviously, uh, they did still manage to get the win. I think with Chelsea, the FA Cup's very much a priority. But if I was Conte, I would think, well, you know what? If we beat them the week before, that's that's quite a big psychological blow to Saints to come to their place and beating them. And then you, you feel like, well, you kind of put a little bit of dent into them and a bit of doubt in their minds before you even turn up at Wembley. So I think from his point of view, he'll be seeking a reaction from the West Ham game and then trying to prepare the team uh, for Wembley by getting getting a win. But like you said, they can be inconsistent. I, I think actually 
playing in a similar fashion to the way the Saints did against Arsenal is a good way to go against Chelsea. Again, they're another team that can get sucked a little bit into sort of tippy-tappy football in front of a, a, a deep, compact defensive unit made up of quite a lot of players. And, and I think that Saints showed today that they're actually capable of doing something like that and playing like that. So uh, I, I assume that that's the way they'll go against Chelsea. And I think that's a reasonable way to play them if you are going to beat them I think it's probably likely your best bet is to attempt similar tactics as saying still against Arsenal and try and uh, really contain the space uh, between the lines and the space in behind and make them play in front of you as much as possible make you make them break you down and then to try and uh, pose a threat on the counter-attack Richard when you look back at our time in the Premier League you think of the two-all draw when Nigel Atkins, his last game in charge, when we were 2-0 down at half-time. Remember Ricky scoring that brilliant free kick when we beat them 2-1 at St Mary's, and then obviously the fantastic away win under Koeman. So we've had some decent results against them, but generally they've always had our number, I think, in, in terms of uh, the games that we've played. But from a sort of fan's point of view, what, what do you think of Saints' chances against Chelsea next week? As Adam said, really depends on which Chelsea team turns up and what system Conte goes with. Um, I, I hope that he goes for the kind of false nine. They've been playing quite a bit with limited success this season. Um, so I think although we've had a bit of problems with some of our defenders being pulled out of position, I think we stand a better chance of, of stopping Chelsea scoring if they play that system rather than going with Giroud up top and bullying our defenders in the air, which if Chelsea have looked at us and looked at most of our performances over this season, they, they should start with Giroud, put some balls in, and we all know what's going to happen when... <laughs> Hoot or well, Stevens won't be playing, but we all know what's happening happens when Hoot gets gets challenged by a big centre forward. Um, but otherwise, yeah, I think um, it's a team that we definitely can get at. It's not something I'm ho- holding out a huge amount of hope for for a victory based on on how we've been all season. I reckon it could be another one of those where we we play some nice stuff, we put them under a bit of pressure, but ultimately draw or or lose by one goal as as we have done in most of the big games this season. Yeah, and and I guess from sort of Mark Hughes' point of view, it'll be his first home game. He's come in late in the day, and we all know that um, you know if we do go down to a certain extent, it won't be necessarily down to him. But how important is it, even though we are on a a poor run, and it's frustrating that the fans at St Mary's get behind him and get behind the team? Yeah, definitely. I think the atmosphere at St Mary's for the last kind of year and a half hasn't been great. Um, mm. But I think the the performance today and and the gut showed by uh, by the players and the fact that. It will be Hughes' first game at St Mary's. I reckon the, the fans should get behind him from uh, from the first minute. And hopefully, if we if we don't do what we've done in the last few weeks and concede early on, then could have the good uh, kind of good energy and good atmosphere to to boost the team on to put in another good performance. And when we played them at Stamford Bridge, Adam, you and I spoke about 10 minutes about Eden Hazard, who then went very, very quiet. And uh, I, I guess we should probably do the same again. And I will probably make him my fantasy captain next week to do all I can to, to, to make sure he doesn't have a good game against us like he normally does. But hit him aside, um, yeah, who do you see as the sort of informed players within the Chelsea team at the moment? Well, actually, I, I completely agree with Richard in that if I was Conte, if he's done his homework, I would certainly be getting Giroud in the team. Yeah, I think it's fair of your Conte to assume that Saints are going to play pretty defensively in a counter-attacking game. And so I think that if I was him, I would want the option of being able to try and get the ball in the box as well as try and break teams down. So I think he would be important for them like that. And then, I guess, you know, what's it, again, what systems he going to play? It's very hard to second-guess Chelsea because they have been so inconsistent. And, and as Richard said, the systems that they've played have 
have changed as well. I mean, they've got good players. I mean, we, you, you know, we know how good likes of Willian is. Uh, you know, Moses can provide them with a lot of width as well. They've obviously got the option of Morata. Um, they've got a lot of good attacking players. There's no doubt about it. But I think the problem for them is that they haven't. Whether they've been missing something, I don't quite know because I don't watch them every week. But whether they're a player short, a certain type of player, I don't really know. But they're obviously just missing something. They've searched. He's obviously changed the lineup quite a lot. He's changed the formation and the style a little bit as the season's gone on and kept on chopping and changing, almost trying to find that that winning formula, hoping something's going to click. And so I think, if, like I said, if I was him, I would just be thinking, right, we're going to have a lot of the ball today. What's the best way of breaking Saints down? It is obviously get a lot of ball to Hazard because he can cause a right nuisance in between the lines. Try and get him in there. And I completely agree, play Giroud and allow your, your players, if you can stretch the play out wide, to get some balls in the box and get people around him for anything that bounces off of him or, or a defender who's near him. I think that's their, that's their best chance, to be honest. So that's not the prettiest way of playing, so it might not be the way they go because uh, they do they do like to play in a more attractive style than that. But I think it would probably be the most effective. If it, that's what I'd be thinking if I was them anyway. Well, I hope he's not listening to the podcast. Put it that way. Um, or if we don't uh, know anything, just... <laughs> maybe we hope he does. <laughs> <laughs> there we go. And, and just, just before we do our uh, our normal wild predictions, Richard, from a Saints point of view, I mean, we've spoken about the fact that Stevens isn't going to be playing uh, or isn't going to be available, which kind of limits what Hughes can do defensively but you know we've not played at home for quite a while we we know that Saints have been quite sort of disappointing when they have played at St Mary's so what what do you sort of hope Hughes does I mean go for the win and really take the game to Chelsea who are naturally a bit sort of timid defensively or do you think they they, they need to be on their guard? Um, I think it needs to be a similar similar tactic today um, be compact and, and be organised defensively but also make sure that those players in front of that back four or back five or whatever he goes with really press Chelsea when they've got the ball, try and force them into mistakes. Because we saw today, we, when we got in Arsenal's faces, we we turned the ball over and got in some good attacking positions. So we have to try and do that against Chelsea. There's there's nothing else to lose at this stage. Um, obviously, we don't want to be too gung-ho and leave ourselves completely open. But at the end of the day, we've got to try and win games. If We've got nothing to lose by going for it against Chelsea. Um, we either get three points or, or we don't. Um, we're not expected to get anything, so so why not have a go? Mm. And, and just finally, I'm just thinking about it whilst we're talking. That's pretty much the first game of the weekend next week, uh, you know, in terms of the fixtures. So, again, for Saints, a real chance to sort of not be put off by the pressure of other teams winning or drawing before them. They can really go out there to a certain uh, element and sort of try and put the pressure back on other teams. Absolutely. But to do that, they need to win. That's the thing. This is what we I keep saying now is that they're in this position where they need to win. Before a draw against Chelsea, you would have said, oh, that's great. Whereas now you feel like... If they, if they went out, played really well and drew one all, say, actually, they're still in the bottom three. And I imagine a lot of the other teams will breathe a sigh of relief. Uh, and when they go out in the afternoon, that they know that no matter what happens, they're not going to get sucked in. I think when you look at the other fixtures, uh, next weekend is a big weekend again. Um, Palace are at home to Brighton. Uh, winnable game for them, you'd suggest. Huddersfield are at home to Watford. Um, we've spoken about Huddersfield running before. They've obviously they got their draw at Brighton, which I think they would have probably taken because uh, they're dreadful away from home. But now their season is on the next two games because they've got um, Watford and Everton at home before then. I think they've got to play Man City. They've got to play Man City, Tottenham and Arsenal or something like that to finish mm. off. So their they're probably survival hopes depend on the next two games, uh, one of which is uh, on Saturday. 
Uh, I think Swansea are at home to Everton. Again, you know, uh, a not unfeasible game for them to win. Um, yeah. So, yeah, it's, it, I mean, all the weekends are big weekends now, it goes without saying. But if Saints could get a win and really put the pressure on those other teams, that, that would be absolutely massive. But likewise, the flip side, what you have to worry about is if you go out and you lose early on, it, you you kind of feel that if you keep losing, one day you will have one of those days where all the results go against you, and all of a sudden you're you're like, well, we're miles behind now. And I think that even though they've got games to save themselves, that mentally that that could be, uh, you know, a fatal blow potentially. So yeah, I think Saints have to try and be as positive as they can and not worry about that. And I actually think playing earlier helps you with that because you don't know what the other results are going to be so yeah. you can go out and, and and have a free hit as whereas if you were the last game on sunday and next weekend given there's already a, a win between you and getting out was a nightmare weekend in terms of other results uh, then you would really be feeling the pressure so yeah they should just try and enjoy it and again i think because of the change of manager now a lot of that negativity for from the home crowd is hopefully going to have dissipated uh, for the for this game it's been so long since Saints have played at home I mean it's ridiculous how long it's been and the change of manager so I think that actually having had this kind of perhaps mental block about playing at St Mary's that might have actually lifted because of the time since they played there and and Hughes coming in and maybe this is this is the one maybe this will be the time I don't know it's if it's going to happen it's got to happen soon Exactly. The thing that is exciting me, and I, I say that in a really bad way, Adam, is that we I know for a fact we are nearing must-win territory. Before the end of the season, on this podcast, Adam Leach is going to confirm that it's a must-win fixture. <laughs> Never. <laughs> there we go. So cool. Right, let's have some uh, predictions. I don't know why we bother, because we always get it wrong. But uh, let, let's start with you, Richard. What do you reckon, then? Uh, I'll go 2-1, Chelsea. All right, OK, I've got that, so I'll have to change mine. No, no problem. Um, <laughs> what have you got, Adam? <laughs> Well, I was thinking 2-1 Chelsea, so I will change as well. Uh, I'm going to be, i tell you what, I will be the optimistic one. I will go for a one-all draw. One-all draw, yeah. Cool, OK. Um, well, I had 2-1 Chelsea, so I'm, I'm going to be naturally negative and change that to 2-0 Chelsea, then that's fine. So. <laughs> Thanks for listening to Total Saints Podcast. As always, it is appreciated. The good news is, one way or another, the season is near in the end now. However, I think we all foresee a few more bumps before it ends. My thanks to Richard for joining the podcast this week, and particularly Adam, who I think is still in his coat and shoes after the trip to North London earlier on. Don't forget there are several ways to keep in touch with the podcast, either via Twitter or Facebook. Just search on Total Saints Pod. Or you can email us on the aforementioned email address, which is totalsaintspodcast at yahoo.com. We do love hearing from you all. Finally, if you've enjoyed the podcast, don't forget that you can find all previous episodes on SoundCloud, Acast and via the iTunes store. They're all free to download and or listen to. Otherwise, I wish you all a good week. Wherever you are in the world, let's try and keep the faith as long as we can. Keep marching in. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly teaming up with Free for Mental Health Awareness Week this year. As football fans, we often pride ourselves on knowing everything, from which substitution can turn the game around to the quickest route home to beat the crowds. However, when it comes to discussing feelings with our friends, we might not always feel as confident. That's why we're here to equip you with the right tools so you can reach out to those who can help. If your mates are struggling, let them know that the Samaritans are free to call on 116-123. That's 116-123. 
They are there to listen without judgment or pressure. 24-7, 365 days of the year. Let's all take a moment to talk more than football. Away days are great, but there's nothing quite like playing at home. The same goes for McDonald's. Maximise your home ground advantage with McDelivery. Order now on the McDonald's app. At participating restaurants, 18 plus, serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans.